Well, good morning again, and to everyone who listens uh, to sermons from First Church um, online. I was at First Scott's in Charleston last weekend. I had the privilege of doing what is the equivalent of their Carson Lecture um, preaching series and was back with a lot of friends from that area. Having served Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church, I saw a lot of my um, uh, friends from there came over. And I learned a lot of them are listening to um, our sermons here. So I took some extra pledge cards. I mean, why not? Um, So we'll see if anything comes in. Um, But good morning to all of you, too. From Matthew 27, 57, uh, this, this brief paragraph. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. The word of the Lord. Now, I've never preached a sermon ever on Joseph of Arimathea. In fact, I've never heard a sermon preached by anybody else on this character, Joseph of Arimathea. This man's intriguing. He shows up at the very end of the gospel. There he is standing there in the last chapter. We don't know anything about him. We don't know how he met Jesus, what conversations they had. We don't know how Christ impacted him so that he would become a disciple. We don't have any conversations in the gospel of Jesus and Joseph talking back and forth to each other. All we have is this one paragraph in all four Gospels. It's a little different in each Gospel, but in Matthew's Gospel, there's only 83 words. That's all we've got about this man. He shows up after the crucifixion. Now, we know that Jesus hung on the cross from 9 a.m. on Friday until 3 p.m., In the afternoon. So this is late afternoon when we meet Joseph of Arimathea. Crucifixion was a very uh, public execution. It wasn't done in private like uh, the death penalty is executed in private, mostly here. Uh, This was public and Rome did it on purpose. They, They did crucifixions to intimidate. They hung people on crosses and let them suffer slowly in front of the crowds with a sign over the criminal's head stating what the criminal had done so that if anybody walked by or when people walked by, they'd see the sign, they'd see the crime, they'd see what Rome will do to you if you commit that crime. Now, all four Gospels have Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate. This is an incredible piece of the story here. This is the part I hadn't thought about until about maybe six months ago. All four Gospels have Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate and asking for the body of Jesus. Now think about this. 
If I'm going to crucify a criminal, if I'm going to put him out in public as a billboard and put over his head, in Jesus' case, it was written, King of the Jews. Doesn't sound like much of a crime, but if you're Rome, nobody can claim to be a king. There is but one king, and that is Caesar. So if someone's going to build a kingdom in Rome, Rome is going to push down on it and squelch it. This peasant man from little Nazareth, who's nothing more than a stonemason, has claimed to be a king. Why would Pilate give that body to Joseph of Arimathea? It seems counterproductive. It seems the waste of a good crucifixion. Most criminals, if not all criminals, were put on a cross and allowed to deteriorate in public. And the more the deterioration, the more foul the situation, the more intimidated the general population was and afraid of Rome and its power. So why allow, why allow this Joseph of Arimathea? We don't even know where Arimathea is in the the old historic maps. We've lost it. Why allow this man to take the body down at three o'clock? In the afternoon on the same day as the crucifixion. It makes no sense. So who is this man? Mark says, quote, he's a respected member of the council. Now, what that means is Israel was a providence of the Roman Empire. Inside each providence were allowed to be the governing bodies of those providences as long as they reported to and obeyed Roman law. So inside of Israel was a council of 70 elders known as the Sanhedrin. That council reported to Pilate. Pilate reported to Caesar, to Rome. So Pilate and Joseph of Arimathea knew each other because Joseph was a respected member of that Jewish council. And Mark says he went boldly to Pilate. Who goes walking in on Pilate boldly? And Pilate was Roman, so he wouldn't care about Jewish rituals. It says that the Jews wanted Jesus' body taken down from the cross on Friday before sunset, which is the beginning of their Sabbath. Friday sunset to Saturday sunset was the Jewish Sabbath. Rome doesn't care about Jewish customs. What do I care if... You take him down before Sabbath. He's a criminal. He claims to be a king. Leave him up there until he rots. This is a weird story. I've read it a million times. I've heard it preached on Easter. I've preached it myself and I fly right through it. And all of a sudden I didn't fly through it. And I went, wait a minute. This isn't supposed to happen. When you look over in Matthew's gospel, the little paragraph on Joseph of Arimathea says that Joseph was a rich man. Now, I think, what did you tell me that for? 
Of all the things you could have told me about Joseph, you could have said, Joseph of Arimathea married to Sally, and they have four beautiful children. Nope. Or you could have said, Joseph, a six handicap. (laughs) Would have been impressive, but nope, it's not in there. Of all the things Matthew wanted you to know about Joseph, standing at the end of the gospel, standing there right at the end, is a rich man. Now you've got my attention. Think about it. Would Pilate have given audience to a poor man? No. God used a rich man at the end of the gospel. Any notion you have that it's evil to be rich can be blown away with this story. Should you worship money? No. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. So standing at the end of the gospel is a man who's made a lot of money. And it doesn't say Joseph gave all his money away. And then he gave Jesus his tomb. No. Far as we know, when the story's over, Joseph's still rich. And Joseph is still a respected member of the council. When he comes to the office of Pilate that afternoon, he had between 3 o'clock in the afternoon and 6 o'clock to get all this done. He goes to Pilate to the praetorium. And all of this in Israel, very close proximity, easy to get to. He gets to Pilate to the praetorium, and he goes in and says, I'd like to have a meeting with Pilate. And the secretary says, oh, yes, sir, Mr. Joseph of Arimathea. Just one minute, Pilate will be happy to see you. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting? Joseph comes in. Now, think about this. Think about this. He's a member of the Jewish council who had the mock trial, who had the mock trial in Caiaphas' house and called for the crucifixion of Jesus, and Joseph is publicly asking for the body of Christ. This is confusing, and it's risky. What are you doing in here, Joseph? Well, Pilate, I want you to give me the body of Jesus. What? Yeah, I I do. Why? Your people called to have him crucified. I wasn't even convinced he needed to be crucified. I know, I know. But between you and me, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I don't want him hanging on that cross until the buzzards eat his flesh and the animals take what's left. I want to put him in my tomb. And I want to take him down before Sabbath. Now, I'm Pilate, and I'd say no. What about you? 
I'd say, Joseph, you're crazy. Your people are going to turn on you. You're a traitor. There's no way I'm giving you this body. I just had the plaque is fresh right over his head. He claims to be a king of the Jews. If I take him down, all the people are going to look at me and think I'm a fool. No. The answer is no. And then it occurred to me. Do you think Joseph bought the body of Jesus? Wouldn't that be interesting? Pilate, I know you don't want to give me this body, but you give me that body, I give you this check. You give me that body and I make a contribution to your foundation. (laughs) That's a nervous political laugh you have. I can't think of another reason why Pilate would give Joseph that body. And Matthew says he was a rich man. Why did you tell me that? I don't know. It's biblical imagination. I can't prove it. But I can't think of any logical reason why Pilate would give him that body of Jesus But I can think of a financial reason why he would. And wouldn't it be something if a rich man used his social capital and his money to change history? Oh, that got my attention. They have less than three hours to bury this body and... John, in his gospel, he's the only one who says that Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus helped Joseph, he helped Joseph bury Jesus in his tomb. That's in that one gospel. That's Nicodemus, the guy who came to Jesus at night. Some people call him Nick at night. He came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be born again? It's that guy. Both of these guys are rich. And both of these guys are on the Jewish council. And both of these guys are taking a risk by even being identified with that body. Much less taking it down from the cross in public. Taking it over to the tomb, which wasn't too far away. And burying it. And Mark says that... Joseph had to even go and buy a new linen cloth in which to wrap Jesus. These rich guys are doing what people of wealth do. Make things happen. They have courage. They're taking a risk. They have heart. And they're using their power. And guess what else is going on? God is using them. Do you think Joseph of Arimathea knew what was going to happen in that tomb? Do you think he knew that it would be the tomb of the resurrection? No. Do you think Joseph had anything to do with the resurrection? No. God is working a plan out that's bigger than these rich men. But at the end of the gospel, he's using both of them for a divine purpose. He's using their influence, their money, their heart, their courage, their willingness to take a risk. 
Joseph is standing at the end of the gospel with the, at the right time in the right place with the right stuff. That is a powerful person. God will use that person for good. That tomb was hand-hewn, meaning it was chiseled out of solid rock. When you go to Israel and you see the tombs, many of them are natural caves, and the bodies were put in there and sealed in some way. This was a rich man's tomb. This was a Mercedes, top of the line. This was chiseled out with labor that was paid for, very intensive labor. Isn't it interesting that Jesus spent 99% of his ministry in those three years with poor people, oppressed poor people, trash that Rome threw out on the street that didn't care about, Jesus picked up and turned it into a church. And at the end of the story, he's buried in a rich man's tomb. Wow. The irony of that is mind-boggling. He gets a Cadillac funeral, and he's been living in rags. Somebody came up after the open door service and said, what if they had Joseph's name on that tomb already? They had to go in there and sandblast that off. (laughs) And then do you think anybody would ever use that tomb again? So Joseph had to go and buy yet another tomb because that one belonged to us, all of us. That tomb became a symbol of hope. It became a symbol of forgiveness. Catherine and I walked into that tomb where scholars believe it is at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and we had our turn, and the guy at the door of the tomb was pretty rude. You know, he's just kind of one of those guys, and he's like, hurry up, it's your turn, get in there. I mean, just killed the spirituality of it. (laughs) And we got in there and knelt down in front of that slab, and we both wept. I mean, what else would you do? You're in that tomb. You're in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. You're in the tomb of Jesus where something happened that changed all of life. And God used a rich man to do it. He took his tomb and he gave it to his son. Oh, I don't think it's a sin to be rich. I don't. I think it's a sin to not know what to do with it. That's the sin. When you stand at the end of the story and your life belongs to Christ, all of it, all of your social capital, all of your money, all of who you are, all of your power to change the landscape in this city, because there's doors that you can open that nobody else in this town can open. There's people who will give you an audience and they won't give anybody else an audience, but they'll listen to you. Because there's a Joseph of Arimathea in you. A person of strength that God will use to change the world. We get to participate with God in what God is doing. There's no greater privilege. I'm so glad I finally preached a sermon on this guy. It's been, it's been burning in me to get him out. Isn't that an interesting? Isn't it interesting? We've read that story since we were children. And one day, driving between Charlotte and Bavard, 
it just hit me, that story's weird. And I'm going to preach it at First Presbyterian Church (laughs) to all those weird people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.